Karen is the proven expert in addiction treatment. A recent independent study showed that 94% of Karen patients were still in recovery 90 days post-treatment. Visit CARON.org slash real. Karen, real results, real care, real about recovery. Now more than ever, people are focused on getting and staying healthy. Much more than primary care. PartnerMD provides affordable, individualized concierge care to help you make the most of your health without all the hassles of traditional health care. With highly trained physicians, medically advanced testing, and virtually no waiting, PartnerMD is better health care for an even better you. Visit PartnerMD.com to learn more. All right. Welcome Slavin from Boxing Haven. <laughs> Joshua here, 86 Boxing. So we're going to have a discussion on 90s boxing. We know there's a lot going on right now in the sport. Uh, we'll save that for another time, but we're going to discuss the 90s, which was a pretty good era for boxing in general, uh, especially for the heavyweights who have typically been the glamour division in the sport. So with that, we have a little guide that we're going to use to kind of push our discussion. And we want to start in the 90s, of course, (coughs) 90s. And we know that the biggest fight of the 90s, of course, was the upset of Mike Tyson as the champion, undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, Buster Douglas stopped him with a 10th round knockout in Tokyo, Japan, of all places. And it is regarded as essentially the biggest upset in boxing by many. It was a, yeah, interesting time and a whole lot's going on. Tyson being a fan favorite and all. So given that, what were your thoughts on Buster Douglas that night? Yeah, you know, I remember that well. I mean, when it, I didn't see it when when it happened, but I I read about it the, the next day. <laughs> so I was, you know, back then I didn't really like Tyson, so I was kind of happy that it happened. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know, of course, who Buster Douglas was, but uh, yeah, I guess I mean uh, Tyson just had a kind of. Uh, image that uh, at that time anyway of very 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 ruthless uh, ferocious guy you know yeah and, yeah so but that fight was really um, quite amazing of course uh, <clears throat> of course uh, you had that uh, situation in the eighth round when Tyson put Douglas down and it yeah. looked like he was going to get get away, you know. So, but Douglas made the, the made, made it up at nine, and of course yeah. Don King and Tyson then later they claimed that it was a long count. So, yeah, there were uh, yeah. Looking at the different angles, it, it was interesting. I see how they could make the argument in a sense, but that being said. I do feel that Buster Douglas had his wits about him. So mm. I think that it was 
pretty much a judgment call from the ref as with any when you're in those situations. And I think that Buster Douglas showed, of course, ultimately that he was able to recover from that knockdown and count aside, mm. count aside, Tyson still had other opportunities to get him out of there. Uh, and, and if that, if Buster Douglas was as hurt as they presumed, then I think he would have done so immediately upon Buster getting up. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it was kind of uh, blown up that whole thing with the long count. Uh, yes. Because he just, yeah, got up and just kind of proceeded to kick Tyson's ass more or less. <laughs> <laughs> That yeah, was really uh, because uh, I guess they say that Douglas was the first guy that really success successfully fought the taller man's fight with Tyson because oh, yeah. there there had been a couple others who had tried that like uh, Tony Tucker for instance and yeah uh, Pinklin Thomas so but they they weren't so successful so. Yeah, yeah, and he had he had fought a bone crusher Smith at that point too, right? Yeah, I remember that was another one uh, where he sort of tried at least bone crusher did a lot of wrestling on the inside, tying up ultimately with that fight. Yeah, that was a disappointing fight. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't know why bone crusher did because he was obviously capable of hurting Tyson. He did that in the last round. As far as yeah. I remember, so yeah, yeah, I watched that fight a couple of months back, and um, yeah, I, I don't think uh, either were really able to get off how we presumed they would. It, it could have been a certainly more entertaining fight, but uh, it was really fought. Mm-hmm. I guess the story of it was the two tying up. Really, was kind of yeah. con- was the premise of the fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah that, Good stuff. And I, I do recall, as far as Tyson Douglas, one of the biggest mishaps was the fact that his corner, they didn't bring an inswell to the ring oh, with yeah. him, which is baffling, uh, to say yeah. the least. Yeah, I think one one guy called it like it, uh, a, a prophylactic filled with water. That's what it looked like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it did, it did. And that turned out to be uh, a huge mistake because I know that they were probably thinking that it wouldn't go too long and Tyson wouldn't suffer much damage just given yeah. Douglas's past in sort of big fights at the big stage whenever he had those opportunities. Mm. But they were sadly mistaken. Yeah, Douglas was stopped by Tony Tucker, but he was uh, he was doing well in that fight before that. So, and yeah. Uh, yeah, nobody expected him to be able to even last. I guess they expected Tyson to knock him out within three rounds or something. You know? Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah. I, I you know ESPN has this sort of documentary they released a couple of years back called Forty Two to One. Uh, which is in relation to the odds for the fight with uh, Douglas being a 42 to one uh, underdog. And in watching that, you kind of get more of Buster Douglas's story 
and the fact that he had a lot of stuff going on in his personal life at that particular time, it all mm. culminated to him sort of taking this fight seriously, you know, based mm. on, I guess, the relationship with his dad. I think his mother had passed away uh, yes. prior to that. And he viewed this, this was like one of his opportunities where he just like, hey, put everything together. Everything is on the line and I'm going out there and I'm going to be on my game, you know. Yeah, that's yeah, that was a real, quite important, I guess, uh, <clears throat> factor that he had that motivation to kind of perform well because of his mother, and yeah, he was yeah. kind of dedicating that performance to her. You can say, and yeah, he. I think he was always a, a very talented, but uh, he didn't always. Uh, fulfill that talent he didn't fight the best that he could maybe but yeah yeah and, and we saw you know how that kind of came into play in the immediate aftermath with his first defense with uh vander holyfield yeah kind of the B douglas of old pretty much showed up yeah he was seriously bottom up bottomed out there <laughs> he, yeah. i think it's that thing when you kind of have achieved you know something and you feel like uh, you are satisfied you are yeah you are not hungry anymore and then you just want to enjoy the, the spoils you know yeah so. indeed yeah yeah but the heavyweight title of the world of course at that time still i believe was uh like make you were on the biggest stage you know you became the heavyweight champion we're starting to get get back to that a little bit in the world of uh, heavyweight boxing here in, in current times, but most certainly back then he he was on the biggest stage because Mike Tyson pretty much was setting the standard as sort of the biggest stage, one of the most popular individuals worldwide. So, and this happening over in Japan. Uh, so yeah, this was uh, I'm sure that he had a whole lot going on and he was pretty much in a new space uh, after that win. Yeah, I mean, uh, he had parted ways with Kevin Rooney, so that was also a, a big, uh, yeah, a minus for him, <laughs> to put it yeah. that way. Uh, because, yeah, I think, I, I remember I watched the first fight, uh, no, the second fight with Tyson I saw, on TV was against Frank Bruno. Okay, so yeah. You could see, even though he won that fight, you know, by a fifth round KO or TKO, but he he was really kind of looking un uncoordinated, missing a lot, I, I think. I thought he kind yeah. of, you know, missed too many punches there, you know, <laughs> just swinging wildly and stuff, you know. Yeah, at that point, yeah, he seemed to had seemed to have uh, abandoned his sort of jab and the things that got him to yeah. that point, and he was solely just relying on his powers. Like, I'm just gonna get in there and use brute force to try and get him out of there. I'm not going to worry about trying to actually box him, make this a finesse game. And I think that kind of was the story of the latter part of his career as he continued on through those mm. stages post Buster Douglas and post, of course, uh, him being in prison. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a pity, you know, because I think Bruno, he kind of, kind of uh, chickened out after the second round, I think. <laughs> because in the first two, he was really trying to make a fight, you know, but after that, he yeah. looked like he was only interested in surviving, you know, so he just yeah. became very defensive, uh, yeah. Yeah, and that could play into the psyche, you know, Bruno being a bigger man, uh, yeah, it looked as though he would be the one to kind of match Tyson power for power, mm. but ultimately, uh, I guess, as you said, yeah, he just couldn't put it together. Yeah, I mean, I remember watching them. I think looking at Bruno, you know, I, I thought that he was gonna beat up Tyson because he looked so strong, yeah, you know, so much bigger and all that. And he did have power, you know, he. Scored like uh, I think of forty wins, thirty eight. He he, thirty eight were by knockout. So you know, yeah, yeah. really big percentage. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely so. So yeah, he he definitely had that type of pop. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I know a lot of times with Tyson, it was the mental game as well with some of the opponents coming in, sort of maybe thinking about how he was viewed as sort of this knockout artist. And one of the things that we, of course, later found out is that when you sort of stand up to Tyson and you really press him, then you can actually detract from his performance. So I think that ultimately is what kind of played out when he got to the likes of Evander Holyfield and Lennox Lewis, even though he was a bit past it at that particular time. Um, but that being said, he was still sort of a salvageable fighter. Yeah, yeah that's true, definitely. Uh, I don't think he really, he kind of stopped evolving, I guess, as a fighter somewhere right after Kevin Rooney left, maybe. And, oh, yeah. Uh, also, you know, against Razor Radok, he took quite many shots there, but uh, he always had a good chin, so, yeah. Yeah. That was kind of lucky for him. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was another one of those interesting ones, him and Ruddick. Yeah. He employed a similar type of game plan of just trying to use brute force to get him out of there. Hey, he was successful with it. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, that that was an exciting fight, though, for that, mm. for as long as it lasted. That yeah, first very they had a, a rematch too, which went the distance. So <laughs> it was, I think, the last time that he went the full twelve rounds. Tyson. Uh, okay. He's only went, I think, yeah. First time was against Bone Crusher Smith. Yeah. Then Tony Tucker and then Razor Runner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That is good. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. Of course, from there. We are now with the sort of the Tyson of this time, and older Mike Tyson seems to be in a better space. Uh, and of course, people know that there's an intended exhibition between him and Roy Jones Jr. It was initially supposed to take place, I believe, in September or this month, but yeah, it was I postponed. Think it was last night that it was supposed to happen, or something. Yeah, like that. <laughs> yeah, this would have been a, uh, yeah, last night would have been a tough date as far as drawing because there was just yeah. so much, uh, so much stuff going on in the boxing world. So I wonder if that was kind of, that kind of played into it uh, as well. 
when the mm. schedule was announced by Premier Boxing Champions and they saw this pay-per-view being there. Plus, we had some of the other fighters with Taylor and so on um, oh, yeah. in the World Boxing Super Series. So, mm. it would have so been... Really wanna kind of, yeah, that's to take, they take away the spotlight. Yeah, I, yeah I so it certainly would have. I, I believe it certainly would have. So mm. Maybe that kind of played into it. Yeah, I see it. There is no new date. I don't know if what's happening with that fight, but uh, yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not really a fight, is it? I mean, it's gonna be more like an exhibition. But anyway, maybe. yeah, and and I, I'm I'm good with that. You know, uh, Julio Cesar Chavez and Jorge Arce had an exhibition this weekend. It was entertaining, oh. wildly entertaining. This four round they had on a uh, headgear. I, I'm perfectly fine with exhibitions because when you mm. look at sort of the history of the sport over the years, exhibitions used to be sort of a big thing and a recurring thing in the past. Uh, we kind of we gotten away from them, at least those that were sort of in televised fashion. Um, mm. And I think that I'm in support of some of these fighters who are older, who want to get in and do something at least for a cause or something, the Chavez Arce yeah. uh, exhibition was for his foundation. Um, it was going to help victims who have been, or people in general who have been down because of uh, this pandemic with COVID and all of that. So I'm all for that. And I view it, uh, as far as my expectations, I view it at the level that it is. An exhibition is just when these older guys are talking about coming out and actually trying to fight at the top level, that right there, I'm not in agreement with, and I don't see how a commission would be in agreement with it, unless they are only doing it for the money. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's, uh, I mean, if it's only for the sake of, you know, doing it, I mean, doing something that you love, that you miss, getting the opportunity to do it again but on, on another level of course not on such a high level anyway uh, so that's fine fine by me yeah 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 and yeah i know we're on a, a 90s thing and not to go on a tangent but i did see some comment regarding say for instance sergio martinez where he left the comment he's gonna fight again you know he came back this year he's gonna fight someone i forget who he's gonna fight but i know in the statement or comment he released he had been promised by one of the sanctioning bodies i want to say it's the wba that he would become the number one contender at super middleweight if he wins this next fight and he's looking to fight canelo and I just mm. think that is just a, a bad idea. And I don't think it will ultimately materialize because there's nothing there for Canelo in doing that. But it's just yeah. an example of, like, why. Yeah, I mean, uh, unfortunately, a lot of these guys have a hard time, like, realizing that their prime is over, like, you know, yeah. like, long gone. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, that's, I think, was it? Sturgeon's last fight was in 2014 or 15 or something. Yeah, against uh, against Miguel, uh, Miguel Cotto. Cotto. Yeah, yeah. And, and in that fight, he was basically a shell of himself at that particular time, you know. Yeah, so he will, he received a beating also yeah. against a smaller guy, even. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, definitely. Yeah, 
I mean, against Canelo, it would just just be a um, a massacre. Yes, it, it would, but yeah, I don't see that actually happening. But you never know in the sport of boxing. But I don't think it would be what people are claiming for. And plus, Canelo has a bigger fish to fry right now as far as his deal with yeah. the zone. So we'll see what transpires. Definitely. With him. <laughs> I hope but, that he doesn't say yes. I mean. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It would be an easy, easy victory for him, but still, I mean, <laughs> yeah. he would get a lot of, lot of backlash. I mean, oh yes, of, yeah. most certainly. Now you know, sticking with the '90s theme on our guy here, March seventeenth, nineteen ninety, we had the Julio Cesar Chavez Mildred Taylor fight. <laughs> Now that, of course, is one of the most infamous, most controversial fights in the history of the sport. And, of course, all that led up to the 12th round was essentially forgotten because it was the 12th round in the waning seconds that mattered most. And, of course, for those that don't know, I'm sure they're, I'm sure you all probably do, Melchick Taylor was stopped with literally seconds left uh, on the on the clock, uh, it was probably around. It was less than ten seconds left, and he yeah. got hit. Chavez dropped him. Melchior Taylor came up. Uh, referee Richard Steele was kind of asking him, checking him, telling him to get trying to get a response from him. Melchior Taylor wasn't able to do so, and he stopped it. No time left on it after what was presumed to be a clear victory for Mildred Taylor. Now, what were your thoughts on that particular fight in the stoppage, of course? Yeah, I mean, uh, of course, Taylor had been very dominant uh, for the first nine rounds. I think you want them first nine rounds. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that stoppage was, of course, <laughs> controversial. Uh, I think what happened that he, yeah, still he asked him if he wanted or if he was all right or whatever it was, if he wanted to continue. And he didn't answer because he was kind of looking at his corner or something, Meldrick Taylor, I don't know why. So (laughs) that's when he stopped, of course. So the whole thing, but uh, of course, I don't agree with the stoppage. Uh, It was just, I believe, six seconds or maybe even less to go I don't know so <laughs> but of course uh, still kind of had a uh, yeah I mean he had a case to put that way in, in you know because he you are allowed to stop it if the yeah. fighter isn't isn't responding to you to your question so, yeah, but of course it was not a good stoppage. <laughs> <laughs> See, yeah, that's one of those uh, sort of tricky situations. Yeah. As an amateur ref myself, uh, I definitely understand the stoppage. And I think, you know, it. it's interesting. Uh, yeah, there was only a short period of time left <clears throat> as a referee. Typically, you're not worried about the clock. You're not sitting there in thinking about, hey, I shouldn't stop this because there's X amount of time left. Really, as you're going through that process and things are winding down, 
you get that sort of 10 second marker where they give you the notice and a good referee you would see them they'll either point to the timekeeper or do something of that nature to acknowledge they know that 10 seconds is is what what's left ultimately and from there i guess you can in a sense get to the point where you know okay it's only 10 seconds you have a, a ballpark figure of when the bell may ultimately come about but from a rules perspective you, you are there to sort of protect the fighter and in that case, I feel as though uh, Meldrick Taylor didn't know where he was, and he was, he was a little bit out of there. Uh, so I understand, based on that yeah. premise, why Richard Field stopped it, because you're not supposed to take into account, oh, if there's X amounts of seconds left. I don't want yeah. to interfere in this situation. But there have been other cases like that. so. So I, I'm in agreement with the stoppage off principle, but I definitely understand, you know, those who disagree with it. And I think this is one of those ones that ultimately, if you polled 100 people, you'd probably have like 50-50 on each side, you know, as far as whether it was a good stoppage or not. Yeah, you know? yeah I think a lot of it depends on who, who you were kind of rooting for, like, Oh yeah, Chavez fan, you agree with the stoppage if you are <laughs> fan, you don't. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, I'm, definitely rooting interest. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of torn myself. You know, uh, it, it's hard, of course, with such cases. But uh, yeah, maybe Richard Steele could have kind of taken a little more time to kind of ask him, <laughs> you know, try to get some some kind of contact. With him. Yeah, uh -huh. it's hard to say. It's of course, it's not easy when you are a referee in such a big fight. You know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah. and that fight took a took a good deal out of Taylor. Some would argue he was never the same after that fight. You know, so yeah. it really is you know a judgment thing. Yeah, even though he won another world title at one three seven, but it didn't last so long. I yeah. was surprised when I found out that he had actually won a world title. It was when he beat Aaron Superman Davis. Yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah, I don't think I've seen that. Yeah, that was on points, of course. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Meldrick Taylor, I know he was, a, he was a decorated amateur as well, of course. So, yeah. But that's one of those things that, that will forever be sort of an infamous fight. Um, and yeah. look at it overall. Now, um, jumping into the 1991, you know, even though there are others from 90, thinking about 1991, of course, one of the big fights there, one of the earlier fights, February 8th, Terry Norris against Sugar Ray Leonard. Oh, yeah. Well, this was for <laughs> the WBC Super Welterweight title. Now, I haven't watched the fight in full totality but I've seen enough of it to know sort of what happened. And I know Terry Norris, he, he's, he's one of those guys who had a lot of fanfare, a lot of backing at that particular time because he looked good. Um, mm. And I do know that, of course, uh, I'm a fan of Sugar Ray Leonard. And, of course, I've followed his career. Of course, 
happening to go back and kind of yeah. research it from a history perspective. And I do know that that version of Sugar Ray Leonard, even at a young, what was he, like 30, he was probably like 32, 33 or somewhere in that range. I forget exactly well, yeah. how old he was. 34 maybe. I don't 34? Know. Yeah. So that Leonard, even though by some standards, of course, even, of course, if comparing it to today, we have a lot of fighting, fighting, you know, in their forties and such. Mm -hmm. um, Sugar Ray wasn't necessarily that Sugar Ray from the Duran, the Benitez, the Hearns fights. It was sort of the remnants of a Sugar Ray Leonard that was sort of, I would say, one foot in, one foot out the door from a boxing yeah. perspective. What are, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he was no longer the same guy. And uh, I, I felt when I watched that fight that Terry Norris could have ended it, I, I think, because he was kind of holding back, you know, uh, sometimes, at least when he had Leonard down and hurt and, you know, he yeah, didn't showing him, go. showing him yeah. some respect type thing. I, I know that happened. Yeah, to it's like he didn't re really want to pull the the trigger, you know, when he could could have. So yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, he was. Uh, it was simply like a passing of the torch, you know. And, uh, yeah. I re I remember. Sorry, <clears throat> Sugar Ray said afterwards said that. Uh, Terry Norris is the new sugary leather, so <laughs> Now more than ever, people are focused on getting and staying healthy. Much more than primary care, PartnerMD provides affordable, individualized concierge care to help you make the most of your health without all the hassles of traditional health care. With highly trained physicians, medically advanced testing, and virtually no waiting, PartnerMD is better health care. For an even better you. Visit PartnerMD.com to learn more. Introducing the new 3-for-1 bundle from Xfinity. Save big on unlimited internet and streaming when you add Xfinity Mobile. Go to Xfinity.com slash 3-for-1, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit an Xfinity store today. Limited time offer, restrictions apply. Oh yeah, sugar yeah. ring, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it's one of those things. It's always interesting, and we've seen this dynamic happening in boxing on other occasions where you have the budding new star going up against the wily veteran. And in some cases, the veteran is still very good and still at least at a, at a peak level. Uh, and, and, but then you have some of those other cases where, you know, the general public or sense is that the younger star is most certainly going to get the win. Uh, I think back on, Sugar Ray Robinson taking on Henry Armstrong. I forget exactly when that was, but that was a similar situation. You have a uh, sort of the new guy or, or the newer star who was up and coming, who was making his name, getting to that big stage against a uh, wily veteran who wasn't necessarily the same as he previous previously was, but was still able to compete at a high level. And, and in similar fashion, I think the foregone conclusion was that, you know, sort of that younger, fresher fighter was going to get the win in some capacity. And maybe the younger fighter held up a little bit just because of the immense respect for the older veterans. So. Yeah, yeah, that's right. 
<clears throat> I think uh, Terry Norris, he was uh, just, uh, he was very talented, of course, uh, one of my favorite players. Uh, but uh, of course, he, he, he kind of had uh, a chin problem, I guess, and uh, <laughs> he could just fall apart sometimes, like against Simon Brown, for instance. Oh, he yeah. lost. Maryland fighter. That title, yeah. But he then came back strong in the rematch, of course, and uh, really, really impressed. So, yeah, I, I think that the problem was that he had a short prime. Uh, yeah. Very nice. Because already at 30, I think he was not, he, his prime was over already at the age yeah. of 30. Yeah, you know, it, yeah, that's an interesting dynamic, and, and that certainly happens. Sometimes uh, people try to do an apples for apples, an apples to apples comparison. Um, fighters based on their age, like, oh, this fighter's he's he's thirty three, and that fighter is thirty. How could they? How could he not be in his prime? But I think yeah. it's a culmination of sort of what you go through as a fighter, how much sort of trauma you're putting on your body because it's not just solely the fights themselves but it's really all of the stuff that leads up to you sort of getting in shape getting ready to get in the ring for said fights and I think that um yeah they're they're definitely interested especially when you look back in the early stages of boxing the early days the early 1900s even up to the probably the 60s 70s in some sense Fighters were, they were going at it. They were fighting more often then. And it was right. not beyond the uh, realm of reason that a fighter could be 32 and completely passed and watched, you know, because they fought so often and, yeah. and went through so much stuff. So I think, you know, there's legitimate sort of cause there as far as some, some fighters just kind of burning out at, at earlier ages and others. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think... It was a kind of common that a fighter would be, I mean, past his prime at 30, you know, back then, in the 50s, 60s, 40s, well, yeah. There yeah. there were a few that, you know, could, uh, that had a, a little longer prime, like Sugar Ray Robinson. Uh, yeah. I think yeah. also Ezra Charles, maybe, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and those those fighters are, in some sense, when you look at the sort of grand scheme of the sport, the grand history of boxing, which has a very, very deep history, those fighters are, in some sense, anomalies because there are definitely more of those fighters who are by thirty are pretty much past it than there are yeah. those who are sort of older, the George Foremans and the Vander Holyfields who can still compete at a Bernard yeah. Hopkins compete at a high level while they're older. Sugar Ray Robinson, as you mentioned, uh, Bob Fitzsimmons back in the day, he, he competed yeah. at, the, uh, at the high level. But I think that's more of an anomaly. And generally, when you sort of weigh everything, yeah, more oftentimes, yeah, by yeah. thirty, the early thirties, a lot of fighters are not the same guys. Yeah, I think also the the trainers back then didn't perhaps know. Uh, enough i mean they, they, they didn't know as much about the human body everything as they did in the 80s and the 90s and now you know. so yeah. Yeah, yeah they that was why they the fighters could 
were able to have longer careers after yeah 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 so like like for instance manny stewart he was very good i think he he was a a very good uh (laughs) he just knew a lot he seemed to know a Mm -hmm. lot about all this stuff uh because i remember in that documentary about uh, the Hagler Hearns fight. Okay. Uh, Tommy Hearns, he got a massage before that fight in, in his dressing room. So uh. Stewart was very angry because he says the massage leaves the body spent. So uh, he yeah. knew all, all that, you know, which was yeah. very important, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. Manny Stewart, legendary trainer. Yeah, and he, you know, he showed his uh, work. He definitely was knowledgeable. I mean, uh, it wasn't just coming home with the other fighters. I think he helped sort of revive or, or take Vladimir Klitschko to the next level as well. Mm. And uh, and I think, yeah, he's a, sort of a great steward of the sport. Definitely love that Kronk brand as a whole, as mentioned, as a whole. I think we mentioned that pre- in a previous discussion. But yeah, yeah, I think all of that stuff matters. Uh, some of them are viewed as superstitions, but ultimately it definitely matters. Yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. Now, uh, another one of significance, 1991, Evander Holyfield versus an old but still able to fight uh, George Foreman uh, for the Undisputed Heavyweight Championship. Now, this is after Evander Holyfield had, of course, stopped uh, Buster Douglas and picked up the titles. And this ended up being a unanimous decision win for Evander Holyfield, who is really sort of uh, a very throwback fighter in the sense that he came from a lower weight and really, really shined at a heavyweight, you know, uh, in addition yeah. to some of the other weights. So, yeah, what were your thoughts on that fight? Yeah, I, I watched it kind of recently uh, again. No, I think it was a very, of course, exciting fight. Foreman was uh, able to land, I guess, more punches than people might have expected. But that's because Evander had no defense, practically. He just went forward and traded. But I think also that Holyfield was also quite impressive in that fight. Yeah. He he landed a lot of good, good punches, good combinations. And yeah, I mean, it was just a true slugfest. Yeah, and and I think that Foreman, if anything, showed that he's sturdy. He had a sturdy chin, you know. Uh, yeah. Even after all of those years, you know, he had his situation, of course, when he was younger. But that second iteration of his career as an older fighter, he just showed that, you know, he he could use his sort of IQ, but I think he really became one with sort of his sense of body, his understanding of what he could do uh, physically. And um, yeah, he definitely showed that he he still had one of the toughest chins in boxing because he he took a lot of shots, you know, and withstood it. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. I remember like Holyfield, he really had some good... uh, what should I say, or rallies, you know, where he would 
he stunned Foreman a couple of times, but he was never really able to really kind of get him in real trouble. And uh, yeah, so I know I remember Foreman would not sit between the rounds, so that was uh, quite special. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Big George. Yeah, he yeah. probably kind of wanted to keep the blood flowing in those legs, you know, those yeah. older legs. Yeah, that's right. And he, he, he was trained by Angelo, Angelo Dundee mm-hmm. back then, so, yeah. I wonder if that derived from, so was he, uh, was that something that happened after sort of, or wanted to take him on because of that history with Ali, you think? I don't know, really. But I, I do remember when also before a fight, Ali, he went in the ring and he came to kind of uh, towards Foreman and then he said like something like fight like fire to him or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Legendary Ali. All right. Good stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, another one and... I don't know. I didn't. I haven't seen the fight. I probably should have seen it, but uh, I'm gonna watch it. Uh, but I know what happens, of course. Uh, June first, '91. Terry Norris stops Donald Curry. He was another one of those guys who had a lot of fanfare and people were fond of. Uh, did you watch that fight? Yeah, I did. No, it's a while. It's a while since I last seen. But I, yeah, it was a another very. Very good fight, very exciting. Uh, like, uh, but of course, <laughs> uh, Norris ended up knocking out Curry in the eighth round. Uh, that was also very good, very good knockout. But Curry, he did, uh, he did uh, put up a, a fight much more than Sugar Ray. Uh-huh. Uh, but he oh, was yeah, yeah. also a little younger, so. <laughs> but, okay. Uh, it was at, at the end of his prime, of course, and I think he had retired after that fight. Good. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I would have to uh, look it up because I'm drawing a blank on the actual knockout in itself, trying to think back on what it looked like. But I know it was uh, sort of one of the bigger fights that were listed there. Yeah, I mean, both guys, those kind of fires could never be or seldom be boring to watch because yeah. both were fast, they could hit uh, like serious power and yeah, oh, they yeah. could be get could get knocked out of course. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> that is true. All right, uh well so we jump ahead to nineteen ninety two and of course the most significant fight of that year was without a doubt Riddick Bowe and Evander Holyfield in their first clash, which was really one of the all-time great fights just from a viewing perspective. It had a bit of everything you could ask for. You had uh, both fighters, Riddick Bowe being the bigger man, he's him choosing to kind of really exchange with Holyfield, whether exchange with Holyfield on the inside, which was more of Holyfield's game, and Holyfield being able to sort of take and withstand some of those huge shots that were coming from Riddick Bowe. And, you know, I've heard mentioned, I think, uh, Teddy Atlas is one who uses this term, that uh, every time one of the, every time a fighter leaves the ring, they take a piece of them with them. 
mm. or every time they're in a fight, a piece of them is uh, taken. Uh, this is definitely one of the examples of those fights that it was, there were just heavy blows and action just going around through, going around throughout the fight. And I have no doubt that both of those fighters left a piece of them in the ring that night. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was just a case of Holyfield not fighting the right fight, I guess. Uh, yeah. Being too stubborn to box and move, you know, as he should have done. Uh, he just went, went, went straight at ball. And, yeah. At first, it it looked like he was he had some success, of course, first three rounds. But then, uh, Bo just started really countering him well, and you know, just uh, being able to, <laughs> as Hall as Holyfield himself put it. Yeah. You can't get much for five bucks these days. Unless you go to Wendy's for a $5 biggie bag. Get your choice of double stack, junior bacon cheeseburger, or crispy chicken BLT. Plus four-piece nugs, fries, and a drink. All for just five bucks. That was smooth, wasn't it? That's how you're going to feel when you get that biggie bag at Wendy's. U.S. price of participation may vary. Includes four-piece nuggets, small soft drink, and small fry. Prices may be higher in Alaska and Hawaii. For a fight, he was able to top everything that all of you had to to bring, you know, so. Yeah. 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 You had that 10th round, of course, which was very, like, (laughs) (laughs) movie-like round where... Bo first really kind of rocked Holyfield badly with that yeah. right uppercut, I think it was. So, and then Holyfield just bounced back. <laughs> that was, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's one of those sort of just overall historically one of those super tough guys, those hard yeah. guys, just that it's amazing some of the sort of wars he was in and what it what he was able to withstand and, yeah. and he had one of the better chins because he wasn't necessarily a, a huge heavyweight um no. like certainly by certain standards at least of course today's and then that's when you look at it overall but man he had most certainly one of the best chins in the history of the sport yeah definitely and heart and yeah. everything like durability I just could not believe what he was able to take and then come back, you know, bounce back. Not just yeah. in that fight, in some others as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, and, you know, of course, they went on to have two other fights, uh, right? Uh, Holyfield and um, Bowen, you know, just yeah. as, as similar to the other ones. You know, you had some of those actions, but at that point, of course, uh when it was all said and done, Bo ultimately won the rivalry to a certain degree, but it wasn't yeah. it wasn't a, a knock on Evander Holyfield because he he gave everything uh, yeah. going through that. Yeah, he was uh, weakened in the third fight. I know that he had he- hepatitis, I believe, before that, not so long before. So yeah. it was, yeah. Apparent already, I think after he knocked down Bo in the sixth round, he he it was, he looked like he was you know finished, <laughs> like nothing yeah. more to give. Let's go <laughs> home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so 
but it turned out of course that he was the one that uh, would last longer than Bo was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, pretty crazy, yeah. Bo and we, you know, besides the Holyfield and yeah. the Galata because, fights were pretty decent, but um, yeah, yeah, Bo was one of those guys. We wanted to see him in there with Lennox Lewis. Shame that never happened. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big, big uh, shame. Also, that he could have, I think, fought Mike Tyson. He did uh, talk mm -hmm. about it, I know, but it was just for a lot of fight or fights that kind of really destroyed him as a fighter. Yeah. 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 Those are some interesting fights as well. Certainly, <laughs> yeah, a lot of. To yeah, put it mildly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, to put it mildly, yeah, without a doubt. I <laughs> was like, who is this guy? I remember when he's from Poland and he's yeah. so good. What what's <laughs> what's this like? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was just another, you know, case like Yeah, certainly. Tragic. Yeah, quite tragic case. Yeah, certainly certainly is one of those and uh, made for entertainment, him being, him and Lou Duva made for entertaining dialogue, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think he could have uh, been a, a champion, uh, but he just, uh, it was just not meant for him. He just didn't have the the, the luck, I guess. Yeah, because yeah. He did have everything else, you know, but, which is yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it happens for sure. Now, yeah. um, moving into 1993, of course, this was the first fight between Roy Jones Jr. and Bernard Hopkins, and oh, the only yeah. fight that really mattered compared to that one they did several years later. Uh, this is for the IDF middleweight title in a fight in which Roy Jones Jr. was really at the top of his game. Some argue that Roy was at his best at middleweight. Uh, and in this case, uh, Hopkins, he, he had some of those traits that he's known to have. And he was one of those fighters who peaked later in his career. But it was a fight that showed that Roy Jones Jr. was just on a, on a major level uh, as far as uh, his work uh, at middleweight. And I don't think a ton of people in history would have defeated him during that period. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think he even fought with an injured hand or something. I yeah. remember. Uh, but he was really, yeah, kind of dominant. Even though it was, I mean, the fight was kind of competitive, but he was definitely the better man uh, than Hopkins. And yeah. Yeah, most because certainly. Yeah, it's true that Hopkins hadn't really yet de developed uh, fully as a fighter, so, yeah. Yeah, he's one of those examples who of a fighter where their sort of prime from the general standard, which we think is sort of like mid to late 20s, that's what they generally sort of associate your prime with, but he's one of those fighters that later on, he was fighting at a very high and elite level. Uh, and yeah. I think it was partially because of sort of his his lifestyle and the way he fought as well. Mm. Yeah. 
that's the thing. I mean, he was not so entertaining always in a way, but yeah. he uh, was very, very uh, <laughs> solid. I mean, uh, it was very hard to beat, obviously. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and uh, another fight, September tenth, nineteen ninety three, was the infamous Julio Cesar Chavez versus Pernell Whitaker fight that ended in a draw oh. for the WBC welterweight title. This is a fight I watched it. I can't remember if it was last year or the year before. I can't remember exactly when I last watched it, but it was a fight that was, of course, controversial. What I saw, I thought that. Pernell Whitaker edged him out, uh, and that is something that continues to be a debate to this day. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I'm afraid I haven't really, really yet watched that fight, but uh, I, okay, okay. I know that everyone. I, I, I mean, I know they said that uh, that Pernell Whitaker was robbed. So, yeah. Yeah, and really the story of it was Pernell Whitaker's movement, his defense made it hard for Julio Cesar Chavez to really get off on him, you know, oh. uh, especially plotting forward. Um, and Whitaker, yeah. uh, of course, is up there in the ranks when we talk like all-time defensive fighters. And he, he was a defensive fighter who wasn't afraid to put out a little offense, you know, so he wasn't just all defense. And I think the story of that fight was really his movement. And Chavez found himself missing a lot uh, when trying to get at Whitaker. And Whitaker deserved to get the nod in that fight. But yeah. you know how it is sometimes. Yeah, I mean, Chavez was with Don King. And uh, he did lose not so long after that to Frankie Randall. But that's because oh, yeah. Randall was really better. And he scored a knockdown in the 11th round, so, you know, kind of, they just had to give it to Randall. Yeah. So, speaking of that, that's one fight I need to watch right there, Frankie Randall versus Julio yeah. Cesar Chavez. <laughs> very good fight. I think Randall was very, I mean, just outstanding in that fight. Yeah. Good stuff. The surgeon, All right. yeah. <laughs> the surgeon? Yeah. Okay. He had been waiting. I think I he had been waiting for his chance, you know, for a while. So he really, he really took it seriously, and yeah. It's like I'm not gonna let this pass me by. Handed Chavez his first defeat. Yeah, and that was a huge upset, of course, because yeah, Randall was not a household name, you know. So yeah, yeah, another one of those examples that. Your star can essentially be catapulted by beating another star. Mm. Yeah, or that's right. superstar, I guess you can say, in the case of uh, Julio Cesar Chavez, because he's yeah. Mexico's sort of greatest champion, but in many regards. Yeah, I mean, it was a huge victory, of course. He was like uh, 89 and 0 and 1 or something. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty, you know crazy <laughs> yeah it is yeah um so yeah jumping ahead to that uh 1994 i would say there, there are a lot of fights you had of course with lennox lewis oliver mccall oh yeah we're mm -hmm. still in 94 because the randall chavez you had 
that fight was 94 as well, but you had Lynx Lewis, Oliver McCall. We know what happened in that fight. It was an yeah. interesting fight, of course. Um, and it was, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, this was the version, this was the first fight, actually, um, now that I think about it, or I'm yeah. this correctly, where Oliver McCall pulled off the upset, you know, in yeah, front of uh, a great knockout, truly. There's one of those examples where Lennox Lewis kind of let his guard down a bit and uh, got mm. caught. And, and of course, we know yeah. that that played out twice for him in his career uh, in similar fashion. Yeah, that's true. Oliver McCall was very, uh, I think, very underrated at the time because he had a few losses, but uh, yeah. he also had some good, good wins. So. Yeah, he, he, he's, a, he's a decent fighter, you know, yeah. had, a, had a good mixture of skill, you know, he could punch a bit. Um, yeah. a very, like, very uh, fast and, yeah, I mean, good physical tools. Yeah, solid, solid heavyweight for sure. Yeah. And, you know, of course, he had some of these demons uh, outside of the ring, uh, which ultimately led to him sort yeah. of not really feeling his potential overall, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The nose candy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The craziness. That, yeah, a big shame. Indeed. Now, uh, 94 was also the year that 45-year-old George Foreman became oh. the oldest heavyweight champion ever to this point by defeating Michael Moore by knockout in the 10th round. And Foreman was losing on the scorecards uh, as well. And this yeah. was like, an That's example, a, a good example of uh, sort of an older fighter putting together the right kind of, well, I guess you could say he put together the right kind of game plan, but I think it was more so he showed that he has a chin and Michael Moore was another, is another one of those guys who wasn't a big heavyweight. And it's just yeah. like a combination of that, then the power that the older foreman still possessed that got him that victory. Yeah. That was another, like, cinematic moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, Moore has been very dominant, I believe. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's simply that he perhaps didn't expect Foreman to be able to... <laughs> land such a punch you know yeah and, and foreman had fallen short in his sort of uh title campaign in his comeback bid he had fallen short uh each of yeah. the other times he, he had lost the opportunity the, he lost to tommy morrison yeah yeah that was a fight i guess at least some expected him to win maybe uh or to be able to win but uh he Tommy Morrison just for a better fight, a smarter fight, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Indeed. And then uh, November 18th of that year, 94, still, uh, Roy Jones Jr. showed that he still had medal in defeating James Tony. And yeah. the thing about Roy Jones at that particular time, and this was for the IBF super middleweight title, at that particular time, it wasn't just the fact that he was winning and dominating these fights. It was also the fashion in which he was doing so. The future will be amazing. And that's all well and good. But what about today? You can feel the rush of a 400 horsepower Nissan Z. 
or climb to new heights in the all-terrain Nissan Frontier. Light up the road in the all-electric Nissan Aria that feels like a sci-fi dream come true. The future will be great, but today is made for thrill. All you have to do is get in a Nissan and drive. 2023 Aria and Z not yet available for purchase. Expected availability is this spring for 2023 Z and this fall for 2023 Aria. Northern Tool and Equipment isn't just a store. It's a problem solver's paradise. Fully stocked with the right professional grade tools and fully staffed with experts who have the right answers. Problem solved. Shop Northern Tool and Equipment this week for our Memorial Day sale. Save up to 50% on lawn and garden equipment, fans, power tools, and more. Shop in store or online at northerntool.com. Where his opponents, even at that top level, practically yeah. weren't even winning rounds. It was just pretty much all Roy in, in its entirety. And that was the case with Tony, who I know some had mentioned, hey, he may have had trouble making the weight, so on yeah. and so forth. But I think that Roy Jones just put together a proper game plan and his athleticism, his size and all of that played in his favor. And even uh, Wiley sort of wanted to better boxing boxers of sport is seen just from a crafty technician standpoint, James Tony mm. wasn't able to tame this version of Roy Jones. Yeah. I think it was simply the case of uh, Roy being too fast, you know, and uh, too fast. Uh, of course he was very good <laughs> in, in, in other fields as well. And uh, yeah, <clears throat> He just simply, yeah, he did everything right and had the right game plan, and yeah, yeah, so yeah he yeah. might have been, yeah, as they said, kind of weight drained, or but I think uh, even if he hadn't been, uh, he would have always struggled with the Roy's speed, you know, because yeah, he was not a very fast fighter himself, so no. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm in agreement, and um, yeah, I think that was a good showing. It kind of seems like a, a far gone sort of vision or view now, because the last half of Roy Jones's career was really that of sort of a losing fighter, sort of way past it, well, extremely past it, of course, uh, and many people who may have started watching in the 2000s probably don't know of some of the feats from the 90s or or how he looked uh, at those particular times. Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem. (laughs) Yeah, as you said, he was, I guess, he was best at middleweight and super middleweight. Those were his best weight Mm -hmm. classes, I think. Already light heavyweight, he was... Slightly undersized, maybe for yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. And he and he had some great fights at light heavyweight as well. And he still had his athleticism and speed there. He was able to do yeah some good things there as well. Yeah, it was just that uh, perhaps that division was not its strongest back then. But uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know, for instance, yeah, he had a pretty hard fight against Eric Harding, for instance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
so that guy was also very good technical boxer and, and yeah yeah that was yeah interesting yeah yeah the sort of fighters that can kind of throw off or, or throw off a little bit uh, of, you know, sort of yeah. athletic fighters game that's given their style, of course. And before that, you had, of course, Montel Griffin, which was oh, yeah. the first loss of Roy Jones, even though it was a disqualification. But uh, yeah. Montel <laughs> Griffin had been the first one to really give Roy trouble, you know, with his... Yeah. Uh, skills and all that yeah yeah and roy it looked like roy was was not in first gear in that fight leading up to that sort of disqualification of course yeah yeah that's right so, all right yeah <laughs> cool so uh then we jumped to 1995 uh february when their bigger fights there is listed um i haven't watch the entire fight but it's Nigel Ben against Gerald McClellan. This is a fight of course where he ended up going into coma and suffering those issues uh, the brain damage basically. Um, Now I haven't watched the fight in its entirety I just know of the story and what happened. Uh, Have you watched it uh, in its entirety? Yeah I have. I have, yeah, but I think only once in its entirety. But uh, yeah, I have seen uh, the fight. Now, do you think it was a, a combination of him taking too many shots, or maybe something? Uh, yeah, led up, that led up to it in training. Definitely, because Ben was landing really hard, clean shots for a, quite a long time, you know, before that stoppage and. Uh, it was just, uh, yeah, I, because McClellan had never, I think, had he really had a hit. <laughs> Most of his fights had ended in one round before I know, something, five yeah. rounds against Julian Jackson, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fight. So he was really not not prepared for such a fight. While Nigel Ben, he had been like, they say he had been, uh, working with a <laughs> guy who had kind of hypnotized him, you know, <laughs> okay. into believing that he was invincible, whatever, something like that. So <laughs> he was very, very, very determined, you know, to to win. Yeah, that yeah, that's uh, yeah, definitely one of those sort of unfortunate situations in boxing, and you know. Sometimes these situations do happen, probably less often than, um, you know, you'd be led to believe if, if you were watching sort of mainstream media because they typically jump in when you have situations like this come about. Uh, and then we, of course, get the cause of is boxing too dangerous of a sport? Should they reduce the amount of rounds, so on and so forth? Uh, so, but yeah, it's just a sort of unfortunate situation overall. And I know that sometimes you know, it takes, I, I think this is where the importance of the corners comes into the fold as well, because no one knows the fighter better than their corners. And the yeah. corners, their team knows what they may have done in training leading up to that. They know whether or not 
he had to, or a fighter had to sort of drain themselves in order to make the weight and all, and, and whether they were really uh, truly ready and, and in the proper shape to act in condition to be able to actually go out there and compete at that level. So I think that's where sort of the onus is on the importance of having a great corner and team behind you. Yeah, definitely. I think, I believe McClellan, he had also been trained by Emmanuel Stewart and then he, he kind of broke with him because I don't think Stewart really wanted him to fight Nigel then. Okay. So that was, so then he had hired some kind of really like in, in competent guy who wore a, a hat, a, a sea captain's hat or something like oh, yeah. clown <laughs> figure, like you know. So, I mean, one of those guys who was basically not going to challenge them uh, or was going to say yes to whatever, essentially. <laughs> yeah, I mean. It's, it's just uh, that fight should have been stopped before. That's that's for sure. I think I, I, I after the eighth round or something. I think many people say that because McClellan had taken some a lot of punishment. And then if you look at it, I think uh, his. Uh, I have talked about it before. Shade. The, the skull shape does have some, you know, does play a part in yeah. how many punches a, a guy can take, you know. So yeah. he had kind of the wrong shape, very long and, you know, narrow. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. People yeah, with, um... with that kind of skull, they are usually more, you know, suspect, susceptible, what do you call it? susceptible? Yes, acceptable. Yeah. yeah. To yeah. to getting hurt, you know, to punch. Yeah. It. So yeah. Yeah, uh, definitely uh, an unfortunate situation. And um, yeah, commissions should definitely do a better job and do their part to continue to help prevent those types of things. Um, yeah. Now uh, we can jump into 1996. I mean. We, Mentioned earlier, Tyson Bruno. Uh, we know what happened there. Another fight, another uh, sort of big fight, at least, especially in the taking Mexico into account. Oscar De La Hoya beat Julio Cesar Chavez for the first time. And yeah. if, if I'm not mistaken, this was uh, there was a cut uh, that uh, took place. Oscar was winning the fight, in my opinion, of course, but. Yeah, cutting Chavez Jr. and it led to a point where the bleeding couldn't stop, and I guess the the fight was eventually uh, stopped by the doctor or the doctor provided that guidance and such. And Oscar De La Hoya sort of won that sort of battle of, and it was almost like a uh, sort of passing of the guard type thing, Mexican American Oscar De La Hoya against. Mexico's own sort of star hero, Julio Cesar Chavez. Uh, mm. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, of course, Chavez was no longer in his prime, but he was still, you know, he was not yeah. finished by any means, you know. He, uh, definitely. he went on to fight for like nine years or something after that. Yeah, but, uh, yeah I think Oscar was just... Uh, 
too much for him because with his uh, speed and power and all that, very good. Yeah. You know, in the prime of his, uh, yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. yeah and Oscar was, a, uh, when you think about it, he's a big lightweight. Um, yeah. He's at about 5'10", he's somewhere in that 5'10 range. So he, he's a big lightweight, and you're right, he had yeah. speed, he could put together his punches well, very good boxer. Uh, excellent uh, left hook. Uh, and yeah, he was just uh, very strong in all departments, I guess. I mean, good chin, very good chin, uh, good skill, uh, technique, <laughs> power, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually, yeah, uh, uh, he was a big lightweight, but yeah, this took place at 140. So yeah, 140. WBC light welterweight title, so... Yeah, yeah, even for 140, yeah, he still, you know, had the, you know, he was yeah. longer and longer than a lot of fighters. And of course, we know he had the sort of fundamental aspect of it too, uh, just given that his Olympic pedigree and all. Um, mm. And Oscar, he's always one of my favorites to watch, uh, even to this day, going back to yeah. some of his stuff. Definitely, yeah, mine too, yeah. Good mm. stuff. And, uh, September 7th, 1996, uh, we had Mike Tyson take on oh. Bruce Selden <laughs> in a fight that, if you look at it, I, I don't know if how hurt Selden was. Maybe his pride was hurt more than anything, or he was just yeah. thinking too much of it. He, Tyson did connect with him, but it didn't seem to be a blow that would take him out in such a quick fashion, but ultimately the aura around Mike Tyson, even at that particular time, was essentially at an all-time high. So yeah. a quick quick work, uh, uh, I would say, what do you think of the fight? But I guess it really wasn't much of one. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a no-fighter. <laughs> I mean, Selden, yeah, of course, he didn't look so scared. I guess he did a kind of attack, you know. Yeah. He tried to land good punches but <laughs> he just seemed I don't know what happened he just looked like he kind of gave up then when once he got hurt you know it looked like he just kind of thought oh what, what the heck I I'm out I I'm out of here I don't I don't want this I don't need this so no, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's I'm what down. it looked like I don't know maybe he was really really finished I don't know but yeah, I, I'm kind of uh, I side with you. Yeah, it looked more so like he just yeah. knew that it would be inevitable that he was going to get knocked out. So why yeah. why prolong it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Why yeah. prolong it? And of course, uh, rapper Tupac Shakur. I'm a rap fan. He uh, yeah got shot that night uh, in Vegas. Yeah. So that kind of became more famous than the fight itself, you know, what happened yeah. after the fight. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, crazy, crazy date there, September 7, 1996. Yeah. All right, and then uh, we fast forward to November 8th, and uh, that's the first fight between Vander Holyfield and Mike Tyson. And I think yeah. of, and I think this fight probably more than any, and of course the next fight uh, when they actually met again, showed that the expected Mike Tyson of the previous years, if you were expecting that sort of 80s version of Mike Tyson or even 
for that matter, the 1990, early 1990 version of Mike Tyson, that guy is essentially gone at this point. And I think this fight showed that more than any uh, at this particular yeah. time. What were your thoughts? Yeah, well, he started out well. I, I remember I, I've seen the fight a couple of times. So, uh, but uh, the moment that Holyfield kind of started pressing the action, yeah. he just didn't, didn't have that much, you know, to, yeah, to counter with. Uh, I think the fight was kind of competitive until maybe the sixth or seventh round. I, I believe I, he was dropped in the sixth round by a body shot, Tyson, yeah. Yeah. I, it was kind of uh, very quick, like uh, yeah, flash knockdown almost. So, but then he really started, I mean, Holyfield started taking over really more and more after that, so. I guess that knockdown might have even uh, kind of emboldened Holyfield, you know, <laughs> to keep attacking. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think anybody expected Holyfield to win. Not many, anyway. So, yeah, he was, he was older by like four years almost. Like, so, <laughs> but uh, that yeah, was yeah. just a great performance. Yeah. Yeah, he had that grit about him. You know, I always ponder on what would have happened had Mike Tyson and Holyfield fought in, say, 1991 or something of that nature when they were intended to fight. Uh, at that particular time, I always ponder what would have happened. I think it would have been a slightly, it would have been a better version of Mike Tyson. I think it would have been yeah probably yeah. A, an epic fight in some regards you know really really epic there are quite many fights that could have happened in the 90s but didn't that's the big uh, even though there were also many great fights that, that did happen in the in the 90s but <laughs> yeah there were a few that just you know got away uh, yeah yeah that's, that's definitely one of them if that fight had happened in the Late, I mean, I believe it was supposed to happen in November '91 or something. Or well, yeah, 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 yeah. It was somewhere around that time, and then of course Mike yeah. had the issue with the case and everything. And yeah, and then, he, from there. <laughs> then Holyfield fought Bert Cooper, <laughs> which yeah, was yeah. a great letdown. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah. You know, um, Moving ahead to 1997, uh, of course, uh, Mike, or, or, you know, the first big fight was Lennox Lewis regaining his title against Oliver McCall. This is probably yeah. one of the weirdest fights in, uh, <laughs> in, in the history of the sport. We did speak of the sort of issues that McCall had outside of the ring. I, I mean, and basically yeah. McCall just was crying in the ring and really wasn't throwing many shots and just getting hit and made it just an awkward situation just overall for Lennox Lewis and uh, Mills Lane. Uh, and I saw an interview from him uh, from a few years back, uh, somewhere in this, this decade at least, um, where I think it had something to do with his mom. He was thinking about his mom or something of that nature. And 
and kind of just I lost it and knew he wasn't going to be right, I guess, prior to even showing up for the fight. But yeah, definitely one of those interesting things. What did you think of it at that time? Yeah, I don't think Michael should have been allowed to fight because he was a, a mess. You know, he was a, a wreck psychologically. Yeah. So, but Don King, you know, he unfortunately he was under Don King, yeah. who always, you know, oh, Danny. Yeah, thought about the money more than anything else. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I thought I I remember seeing that fight. Uh, at first, yeah, McCall did, you know, did fight in the first two rounds, I think. He even yeah. did, did, did well, you know, in the first two rounds. But then he just stopped fighting in the third, I believe. And yeah. Just kept crying and walking away. And that, that was a sorry, sorry spectacle, really. Yeah, it was, it was. And, uh... Yeah, his quarter boxing is very interesting. <laughs> and yeah, so, I mean, um, Lewis, he had the, the luck to get the win the title twice by default. <laughs> you can say first time he got it because Riddick Bowl had, you know, oh, yeah. thrown it in the bin. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. The second time he, you know, just won it in a no fight. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. The interesting stuff for Lennox Lewis, who, um, you know, ultimately kind of continued to get better as he got older. Now, yeah, uh, March March 1st of that year, 97, uh, a guy we had already spoken about, Sugar Ray Leonard, decided to make a return to the ring against uh, Hector Camacho Sr. Uh, mm-hmm. I haven't even watched the fight. I know it happens. Because, of course, after six years being out of the ring and already being past it, um, yeah. I mean, it was a foregone conclusion that Sugar Ray Leonard wasn't going to be able to do anything. Yeah, I mean, there are some fights that you just don't want to watch because you know what yeah. happened. If a guy that you really like, you know, just got yeah, destroyed by... Uh, when fighting, when he should have, should not have fought, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, he was simply be, beaten down by a guy who was very very tough, <laughs> very fast still. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, and, and a you know a very good showman. Camacho was always a yeah. showman for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I, that's that's for sure. <laughs> if you remember his uh, his very colorful uh, outfits and dancing oh, yeah. around in the ring, you know. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, he's... some of the crowd hated him for that, and some of them loved him for that. <laughs> oh so, yes, most certainly. And then speaking of that, uh, to close out that year, the big fight was uh, Nassim Ahmed, another one that some of the crowd hated him, so I loved yeah. him. He defeated uh, Kevin Kelly via fourth-round stoppage to retain his WBO featherweight title. And for a uh, four-round fight, it was a very exciting fight, and I think that was primarily because mm-hmm. of Ahmed's sort of carefree, lackluster, well, not lackluster, but carefree style and him being a showman as well. Uh, and of course, his athleticism 
made him do things like drop back with his hands down, yeah. kind of play around at times. Uh, it, it turned out to be a, a a very good fight, if I'm not mistaken. I think they exchanged knockdowns in this fight, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think both guys were down three times or something. <laughs> Yeah. It was pretty amazing uh, for a four-round fight. Yeah. Kevin Kelly was another really, uh, really good fight. I mean, uh, exciting fighter. Yeah. Yeah. Hard, hard puncher. Yeah. Or true, like a warrior. Yeah. Type. So yeah, but he Indeed, just I... kind of yeah got got iced by a guy yeah. who was just one of the biggest punchers at. 126 so yeah no without a doubt and uh i believe th- is this the fight where uh ahmed came out on the sort of flying carpet i think it was this fight right i'm not sure really i don't remember yeah seen it. yeah, yeah it might have been yeah yeah it's been a while since i saw it as well but yeah prince uh yeah definitely another one of those guys who was a uh, very flammable. Yeah. <laughs> very flammable. He had some of the funniest uh, sort of post fight interviews as well. <laughs> yeah. That's true. I mean, I wish he had also fought a few guys. He didn't fight Eric Morales, for instance. You know, oh, yeah. he, he talked about wanting to fight him. So I really wonder what, what happened there, why that fight didn't yeah. happen. <laughs> El Terrible, yeah, that would have been a very exciting fight. Yeah, a classic, I think. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, then we can jump to 1998. Of course, the first big fight was Lennox Lewis uh, knocking out uh, Shannon Briggs, this sort of younger Shannon Briggs at the time, yeah. where he was really kind of making his name. Uh, and Briggs, or I, I just remember it. Lennox Lewis at this time was starting to, in a sense, separate himself from the pack as being sort of that top guy at heavyweight. And this was a prime example of such. Uh, Lennox mm. Lewis showing up and, uh, yeah, really just uh, bringing it to Shannon Briggs, who was a younger fighter, but definitely Lennox Lewis showed that he was a, a step above, in a sense. Mm. Yeah, and he had to kind of overcome because the first round he was hurt uh, he by Briggs and uh, yeah, it, it looked like even an upset was in the making. Mm-hmm. But then he, of course, bounced back uh, after the first round and kind of took over and yeah. He just uh, got got all med- medieval on Shannon Briggs. <laughs> <laughs> that was a really some mean punches he threw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Briggs showed a lot of heart, a lot of yeah uh, will, but it was oh, not yeah. enough, of course. So he was yeah. just overmatched in the end. So yeah, yeah, and um, and yeah, and. Uh, and it just continued to, you know, things continue to sort of excel there for uh, Lewis. And, and one could argue that he was starting to reach his prime or at least some version of such uh, as he continued to move forward. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. I think 
a major factor was again Manny Stewart, who really oh, yeah. kind of, I really changed him as a fighter, I, I believe, because he kind of taught him to box more or less. I mean, he because before that Lewis was more like a you know a puncher. Uh, uh, more like a destroyer type fighter, you know, yeah. Who was not so well coordinated, perhaps uh, didn't have the best defense. Yeah, quite yeah, definitely easy to hit, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, he could get a little bit reckless on offense. Uh, yeah, uh, in earlier years, for sure. Another fight I would like to mention is from '96 May. Uh, Mm-hmm. When he fought Ray Mercer, M- merciless Ray Mercer. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. That was yeah, one, of best, one of the best uh, fights of, of in all of the nineties. Not just the heavyweight, but yeah, I need to watch team. that. I haven't seen that fight. Uh, yeah, I you should. Really. It. It's a true slugfest, like from the start to the beginning. It's ten rounds, but it was. One of the best ten rounds I've seen. I mean, okay, yeah, I'm definitely gonna watch yeah. that. So, yeah. All right, yeah, I, I I do like Ray Mercer. He was another one of those guys that didn't quite uh, live up to sort of the potential yeah. uh, that people had placed upon him. His uh, knockout over Tommy Morrison, of course, is probably one of the most brutal uh, that we've yeah. seen. Uh, and yeah, he was one of those guys that when he was sort of on his game, of course. The future will be amazing. And that's all well and good. But what about today? You can feel the rush of a 400 horsepower Nissan Z. Or climb to new heights in the all-terrain Nissan Frontier. Light up the road in the all-electric Nissan Aria that feels like a sci-fi dream come true. The future will be great, but today is made for thrill. All you have to do is get in a Nissan and drive. 2023 Aria and Z not yet available for purchase. Expected availability is this spring for 2023 Z and this fall for 2023 Aria. Northern Tool and Equipment isn't just a store. It's a problem solver's paradise. Fully stocked with the right professional grade tools and fully staffed with experts who have the right answers. Problem solved. Shop Northern Tool and Equipment this week for our Memorial Day sale. Save up to 50% on lawn and garden equipment fans, power tools, and more. Shop in-store or online at northerntool.com. He was really a very, very good fighter, but mm. more often times than not, uh, he wasn't truly focused. Uh, yeah. The, the problem was, I think he was not in shape too often. Yeah, what happened because, yeah, he came in in a... <laughs> poor shape simply overweight and yeah but uh, he really did have true talent and very very tough guy very hard hard hit hard yeah. punch yeah yeah de- yeah definitely definitely was uh tough you also know, gave Holyfield a, a tough fight also yeah yeah indeed yeah and um so yeah I didn't move ahead to in, in 98, October 3rd, 21-year-old Floyd Mayweather Jr. won his first title, defeating veteran General oh. Hernandez, who only two losses were to Floyd and Oscar De La Hoya. 
uh, in a fight where Floyd showed that he essentially had the makings of uh, a special type of uh, fighter, you know, of course, coming from a fighting family. Uh, and he was pretty much rolling on all cylinders at that particular point. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I have not seen the fight yet, but uh, I will. I do plan to. I, I know that Gennaro Hernandez is very respected, you know, as a champion, as a boxer. Yes, yeah. yeah. Many, yeah, many, he's, he's very respected. And he was sort of uh, on his way out at that point. Um, yeah. But but definitely still a sort of a serviceable uh, fighter mm. at that particular time. Um, yeah. We yeah, can jump into. Some, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, he beat some good fighters. I know that he beat Azuma Nelson, for instance. And... Azuma. Yeah. <laughs> an older Azuma Nelson. Yeah, an older yeah. Azuma, not the very best yeah. version. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I I don't remember. He beat a few other very solid fighters, but uh, yeah, that's oh, true. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, I was, I was going to uh, jump ahead to 1999, uh, March 13th of that year, Holyfield took on Lennox Lewis. WBA and IDF and WBC titles on the line, of course. And that fight ended in a draw. Uh, I'm trying to think of sort of key moments from that fight. I need to go back and watch it, actually. But I do know that many felt that Lennox Lewis deserved the nod in that fight. And ultimately, it somehow ended up a draw. And Holyfield looked as though he wasn't that sort of same fighter he had he had come to know that definitely from the mid portions of the 90s early yeah. mid portion uh what were your thoughts on that yeah that was uh yeah i thought lewis won definitely uh i remember holyfield only had a really good moment moment in the third round when he kind of hurt lewis with uh yeah a few punches, but uh, Louis really. I I remember. I I think I scored that. Scored it one seventeen to one thirteen for Louis. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah, I I think uh, that Holyfield didn't win more than three rounds, more most likely. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, and it, yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons. Yeah, that it becoming a draw has been sort of like a little controversial sort of yeah. stain that's there on that whole fight. Um, and, of course, it, it wasn't as big a clash as uh, expected, you know. And, of course, uh, Lennox Lewis would go on to uh, win a unanimous, unanimous decision in that first fight. But at this point, as I was mentioning earlier, I think we could see clearly that Lennox Lewis was the better fighter, mm, at least yeah. at this particular point in time. Yeah, he was slightly younger and it was just his time and Holyfield's time was had passed, uh, you might say, <laughs> yeah. despite him winning another world title after that, but that was against John Reese, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> not a really great Silent approach. man. <laughs> yeah. 
one of the most boring champions of all times, I guess. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah, you know, in that multi-belt era, yeah, there's always opportunities for someone to pick yeah. up another title, but that definitely wasn't an indication that Holyfield was, was still yeah, the same I mean, guy. <laughs> I believe Lewis, he, had, he vacated a, a belt because he didn't want to fight Ruiz, but of course, that was not because he was afraid of him, but because he, <laughs> he knew that it would be a boring fight, a stinker, you know, yeah, most likely. <laughs> yeah, and it would probably be a turnoff for fans for, as well, or yeah. the expectations, I think, yeah, just given Reza's style, you know, mm. the expectations would have been essentially known that, yeah, it wasn't yeah. going to be super entertaining. Definitely. Now, um, September 18th of that year, 1999, we're still here. This is when Felix Tito Trinidad took on the golden boy Oscar De La Hoya. This was a, I mean, this yeah. was a very big fight. Uh, and I'm reading here, it did 1.4 million pay-per-view buys, which is good. This was one of those sort of classic rival battles of Mexico and Puerto Rico. Uh, in this fight, of course, uh, it ended in somewhat controversial fashion for many, uh, as it turned out to be a victory for uh, Felix Trinidad. Uh, I guess the story of the fight, it was a very tactical fight. If you're just a fan of just boxing and uh, fighters trying to outthink each other, then this is definitely a fight for you to certainly check out. But it ended in... Uh, somewhat controversial fashion with Felix Trinidad getting the decision, a majority decision over Oscar De La Hoya, who had taken his foot off the gas in the latter part of the fight. What are your mm. thoughts on that? Well, I definitely thought that De La Hoya deserved to win. Uh, I didn't score the fight, but I do remember that he won, like, <laughs> at least seven of the first nine rounds, I think or eight, I don't know, maybe. So he was just outboxing Trinidad for most of that time. But then, of course, yeah, after the ninth round, I believe he started to get really cautious and the judges kind of punished him for that. So Yeah, uh, he and his, his punch output dropped, which I think kind of factored yeah. into that. And, and even though Trinidad wasn't necessarily doing anything to hurt him. Yeah. He was continuing to press forward. He was landing some shots, you know. Mm. And, and I think De La Hoya was in sort of in a, in a sense of playing it a bit safe. He kind of yeah. let Trinidad off the hook in a sense uh, as well. And I actually, uh, I had scored it. I was watching it uh, a couple months back. I had it a draw in scoring it. Uh, now, yeah, that being well. said, <laughs> that being said, uh, some of the rounds were very close. Some of the rounds were very, very oh, yeah, close. Yeah. Uh, I so I can so. see it. I can see it yeah. going in uh, De La Hoya's favor. Um, yeah, he was fighting a very technical fight. That's that's true. Yeah, but I think also that fight showed the the difference between those two because Tito mm -hmm. Trinidad was always more a puncher. You know, he was such mm -hmm. a great puncher, offensive fighter, and, uh, but he was never a true boxer, you know, a technical guy. 
while De La Hoya could do both. So that's that was the big difference, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, then uh, another fight noted here is uh, Fernando de Vargas. He uh, defeated Winky Wright this year. Oh, yeah. I still need to watch. I, I've seen highlights of it. Um, and I know that many, there are those that think that Winky Wright deserved the nod in that fight. Uh, yeah, I don't know really. He was, it was a very close fight, I think, definitely. Yeah. I believe Vargas was better in the first half and then Wright was better in the second half. So it may, yeah. it might have been a draw for, I think, maybe. Uh, uh, I'm not sure. I haven't scored it and I have seen it uh, once, like seven, eight years ago, something. Yeah, yeah. So, like that yeah. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, um, yeah, that kind of the story of uh, Vargas's career, uh, looking good early and kind of fading out a bit in the latter part of the fight. Yeah, definitely, yeah. At least at that top level, because he, he was certainly an elite level talent. Um, yeah. yeah, he was. He was. It's just that he had to compete against some of the very best, you know, of that time. <laughs> so... Yeah, against yeah. of course Trinidad, he he did pretty well, but uh, in the end he, yeah, he just got uh, out punched, and, yeah, taken out in the end. But of course yeah. Trinidad, I think also threw quite many low blows in the fight, so that was a little bit. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, true to that. Yeah, uh, yeah. And watching that fight, that was a, another a good fight. I say Vargas was all he, he was definitely in front of exciting fight. But yeah, Trinidad used some very veteran tactics there in that mm. fight, and uh, it was a younger uh, Vargas, uh, and yeah. Trinidad took advantage of uh, sort of that fact. Yeah, Vargas was like twenty three, I believe, and Trinidad was uh, twenty seven. Yeah. 28 yeah. so yeah <laughs> great so, yeah. yeah and indeed another one of those other Mexican Puerto Rican rivalries now um, that was uh, all that was from that list that we initially sent out but um, I was just thinking when we think 90s of course there was some other stuff out there I was going to look it up uh, I think it was in 90 something I could be a Bucci against uh, David Tua in an exciting yeah. fight where they were slugging it out. I'm going to look that up, see who that was. Yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah, just a classic, uh, classic fight. I scored it a draw, actually, because um, I I believe, yeah, Tua, he won a lot of rounds in the middle, middle rounds. Uh, yeah. Uh, Bucci was better in the first three, yeah. Something like yeah. that. So, and yeah, this it, took place, yeah, it took place on the 7th of uh, June in 1997. Yeah, that's right. So, it was uh, also very cool fight, a classic fight. Yeah, yeah. Between two beasts, true beasts, like. Yeah, yeah. You know, what really amazed me was at the end, after all those punches they had, they had taken, it just looked like like nothing had happened. Like, yeah, yeah. 
it was tough. And I know at that particular time, up until at least last year or the year before or whatever, they had the record for the most punches thrown in a heavyweight fight. Uh, yeah. And that was surpassed by Chris Ariola versus um, Adam Kanowski. Oh, really? It happened like last year or the year before or something. I hadn't watched that fight. Uh, hmm. Kanowski won a, a unanimous decision, I believe. But um, right. I didn't watch the fight. I don't really care to watch it. Uh, but. Yeah, that fight was certainly not as as watchable as this one. Yeah, yes, this was a very watchable fight. You had two like guys with legitimate power that were sort of battling out in there, to show that they had chins as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I now, mean, t- now Tua. Uh, He's one of those guys, I just find him to be sort of interesting. He's one of those guys that if you do mythical matchups, everyone always picks him to win whatever mythical matchup that people list out there. Um, I think he was very good in all of that stuff, but he did lose at that sort of top level, you know? Yeah. He went to get some of those elite guys, so... He can, in some sense, in my eyes, be overrated at times, but he was very good, very tough strong fighter. Mm, freakishly strong and tough. <laughs> yeah, I think he sometimes had those nights when he didn't do that much. He was doing a lot of plodding, you know, and then uh, sometimes he could just just explode in the end <laughs> and score a knockout. But, uh, you know, against Lennox Lewis and Chris Bird, I think he was just, he didn't do enough and but he was, of course, against Lennox Lewis, he was too short, simply too much to overcome. Yeah, so. yeah and Lynx, Lynx was on his game. Yeah, yeah. he lost to Chris Bird. Um, Chris Bird wasn't a, a big heavyweight, but technically speaking, he was, he was very good. Did like a yeah, great defense and all that, yeah. Yeah, and, and speaking of Chris Bird, I had saw something recently as early as a couple of weeks ago where I don't know if he's being serious or not. He was talking of coming back and challenging for the middleweight title, wow. <laughs> which would be pretty crazy. He looks to be in uh, excellent shape. He has his gray beard uh, now. Oh, but that yeah. is something I saw being floated around out there. Of course, you can't just come out and jump jump to the front of the line. But at this point, yeah, yeah that would be pretty interesting, I would say. He's uh, 50 at this point. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. I know when he went down to light heavyweight, he didn't do so well. He got knocked out by Sean George, this guy called Sean George. Oh, yeah, I'm seeing that there. (laughs) Yeah, so this guy wasn't really a top contender, this guy, George. But uh, it was just too much for him. (laughs) Yeah, and he only fought once after that, the win against a fighter in Germany and retired from there. Yeah. Um, interesting. But thinking of back uh, on the sort of 90s in general, some fighters we kind of uh, glanced over just that weren't on that listing per se. We did mention Tommy Morrison. I thought Tommy Morrison was a, he was a, he was a good uh, fighter, a good heavyweight, oh. and he had a lot of backing, backing doing, uh, and Oklahoma was behind him. Uh, I followed him. Yeah some of his stuff for his career now and ESPN had did a 30 for 30 documentary on him as well and he one of those he's one of those fighters 
I think he sort of overachieved in some senses. Um, and he became one of the top guys at heavyweight in a legitimate fashion because his left hook was certainly uh, one of the better that we've seen. Yeah, well, it was. Yeah, I think he, I mean, uh, he was pretty good, definitely. I mean, against Mercer, he was, uh, he, in the first three rounds, I think he was really doing well and hurting, hurting Mer- Mercer with, you know, with some punches, left hooks and right hooks and all that. But he had a pretty yeah. weak chin, I guess. So that was always one of his uh, weaknesses. And, uh, yeah, I guess yeah. sometimes he could be a little bit erratic. So, yeah. But all in all, he was uh, he was a, a top contender, definitely. And, yeah. yeah, without a doubt. And I know his, uh, he has a son, uh, Trey yeah. Lippy Morrison, who I know is fighting. I haven't really checked him out in a while, but uh, yeah, I know he's, he's undefeated. Yeah. yeah, he's got like maybe 16 or something, 18. Or, I don't know. Okay, he's got a lot of knockouts. Yeah, yeah, so we'll see what transpires. Uh, as far yeah. as uh, his career, um, another, yeah. yeah, thinking about the 90s, uh, some other fighters that are out there, we think of, uh, let me see, heavyweights, um, trying to think, who else is worth mentioning? What we got Morrison, you have, you have some other guys pop up, uh, Barrett, Monty. I think he was 90s, uh, Monty Barrett. Um, well, you had, mm-hmm. yeah, you had Michael Moore, for instance. You already yeah, Michael him. Moore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Truly, uh, yeah, he, him coming from light heavyweights. Those are the good feet as far as uh, picking up uh, the titles at that age. Yeah. Uh, or at, um, at heavyweight coming from that weight. Yeah, he was quite, uh, yeah. <laughs> accomplished I guess fighter <laughs> and a, a lot of power and yeah good good uh, some good boxing skills he was trained by Stewart as well at first yeah, yeah uh, uh, crunk, a crunk gym fighter um, yeah, crunk yeah. Gym. Crunk. so yeah crunk yeah put out a lot of uh, good guys over here so yeah. yeah it's amazing thinking about it now but uh let me see the exact date. So, one second. Manny Pacquiao, who made his debut. Let me see. I think it's ninety-five. I'm great. And it's uh, pretty crazy thinking about it that he's the fact that he's still fighting. So yes, January twenty-second, nineteen ninety-five. Manny Pacquiao made his debut in the Philippines. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, it is. He's still fighting. That's <laughs> still fighting to this day. And uh, I know you've probably seen the news that Pacquiao is intending to challenge Conor McGregor in a yeah. boxing match. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't. I think that sounds quite uh, bizarre. Let's put it that way. 
Yeah, I but, think it's uh, it's one of those money generating things for both of them. Pacquiao yeah. released a statement saying that he's gonna uh, give a large portion of whatever proceeds to charity or donate them to use for his country, which he has in the past shown that he has been very philanthropic. Uh, philanthropic, and yeah. you know, I think about it, and it's really a spectacle. That's what this fight would be. So I take it for what it is, and my expectations would be set at sort of that spectacle level. Um, I, I don't take it as like a seriously competitive uh, sort of boxing match, but I'm sure it's going to generate a lot of buzz and a lot of that Conor McGregor being a yeah. top level boxer type of uh, <laughs> chatter that it got last time around when he faced Yeah, Floyd. definitely. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> <laughs> He's not a boxer, but uh, I guess he has learned some tricks, maybe. <laughs> some boxing tricks. He fought Mayweather, of course. But that was a complete different scenario, I guess. Yeah. A guy more his own side, you know, and all that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, mm. What else? 90s. 90s. What else? Anything else you want to discuss from the 90s? Um, yeah, I'm not sure, really. We already talked about that De La Hoya Quarte fight Quarte. <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah yeah that was uh yeah we did mention that in another one uh, yeah. that was an excellent fight so yeah. i just looked up a, a interesting thing so leading into so marine magazine's uh pound for pound uh, ratings for that decade in 1990 the number one pound for pound fighter was julio cesar chavez oh. now when we finished in 1999 Take a wild guess. Who do you think was the number one fighter at that particular time? De La Hoya. Actually, oh. it was Roy Jones Jr. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because Roy, Roy was on top of his game. So they had, yeah, it's pretty crazy looking at it. Roy was number one in 99. Then you had Floyd Mayweather, Felix Trinidad, Oscar De La Hoya, Shane Mosley, Mark Two Sharp Johnson, Ricardo oh, yeah. Lopez, Eric Morales, Bernard Hopkins, and Stevie Johnson. Crazy. Mm. Pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stevie Johnston. I haven't seen that much of his fights, but uh, he was a very uh, skilled fighter. I, I've heard, I've read about that. And, yeah, I've seen a couple of his fights. I think he was in talks to fight. Uh, Mosley or Mayweather, I'm not sure, but mm. they didn't want to fight. I mean, that was the story that they were not so keen. One of them were, was not so keen on fighting <laughs> because he was so clever. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. I don't know a ton about him. Uh, I've seen his name before. Can't remember exactly what his biggest sort of matchups were. But yeah, I definitely have seen his name thrown out there. Mm. Uh, but yeah, not surprising. Hey, sometimes you know you have those, and we're going through it now, where it's fights that would be so great and want them to materialize, and just seem to not yeah. happen. 
Want to see uh, Spence versus Crawford. That would be a huge one. Um, but yeah. at this point, who knows, yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and Crawford, he's going to be fighting Kell Brook at 147. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, apparently this right here is a done deal. And it's I not important. I thought Brooke was not returning to 147. <laughs> well, he's, he's able to get another payday. I think that what I saw, Brooke is going to get $2 million for the yeah. fight. So oh. he's going to make his way back down then. Um, say no to that. <laughs> yeah, why, yeah, why not? You know, yeah, of course, this is uh, not going to have that type of uh, sort of expectation behind or it's, it's not going to be the same as it would have been a couple of years back uh, I'm, I'm hoping it's not pay-per-view um, because that would be yeah. a shame uh, unless they had some overly stacked car to follow it up mm. but it's kind of the story of boxing you know uh, we got a guy arguably the number one pound for pound guy taking on one who hasn't been at his best, yeah. especially who ha whose time <clears throat> at that weight is, is pretty much passed. And, yeah. And, and we're left with that, you know? <clears throat> yeah, I think, uh, well, Kel Brook, he does have uh, something left still in him, but uh, yeah. <laughs> not enough, I guess, to beat Terrence Crawford. Yeah. yeah. He does have, uh, he seems to have discovered his power or rediscovered it at 154. So maybe he might have some sort of a puncher's chance. I don't know. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll certainly yeah. see. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if he, whether or not he's affected by the drop to 147. Um, yeah. But yeah. That's true. That aside, of course, um, yeah, we'll have to uh, most certainly get together for another one of these conversations. We'll have to pick out another era here this next yeah. time around. I guess the next one is the 2000, <laughs> the first dec decade. All right, that we one. can certainly do that. We can certainly do that. 2000s, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of good stuff to talk about there. Yeah, a lot of stuff. Really, some really great fights happened then. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. Then. Well, we've been going at it for a good bit of time here. I don't even see the time track, but I know it's probably well over an hour. Uh, yeah, I think like one hour 45 or something. I don't know. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, for you boxing fans, hey, join in on the discussion. It's going to be a long one for you. <laughs> <laughs> Cool then. Well, all right. So until next time, I guess um, I'll be checking you out. Yeah. We'll be in contact for sure. Yeah, definitely. All right. You have a good one. Yeah, you too. Yeah. Bye bye. The future will be amazing. And that's all well and good. But what about today? You can feel the rush of a 400 horsepower Nissan Z. Or climb to new heights in the all-terrain Nissan Frontier. Light up the road in the all-electric Nissan Aria that feels like a sci-fi dream come true. 
The future will be great, but today is made for thrill. All you have to do is get in a Nissan and drive. 2023 Aria and Z not yet available for purchase. Expected availability is this spring for 2023 Z and this fall for 2023 Aria. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel anytime. Hi, it's Carl Deichler, CEO of Beachbody. And I'm giving away 10,000 free memberships a week to try our amazing Beachbody fitness and nutrition programs. Pick any program and just follow it step by step, like our 21-day fix program or the ab shredding muscle burns fat program. Plus, there's free support in personalized fitness groups with our community of over 2 million members. Now is the time, so don't wait. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great.